Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Michael Hyatt. And Megan Hyatt Miller. We're the authors of the new book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life. And hey, if you want to discover how to win at work and succeed at life and get the double win for yourself, then you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with our good friend, Travis Chappell. Don't miss it. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network podcast. Today, I have a very, very special treat, and I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Michael and Megan Hyatt. Michael is the founder and chairman of Michael Hyatt and Company, which helps leaders get the focus they need to win at work and succeed in life. Formerly chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, Michael is also the creator of the Full Focus Planner and a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author of several books, including Free to Focus, Your Best Year Ever, Living Forward, and Platform. His work has been featured by the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Inc., Fast Company, Business Week, Entrepreneur, and just about any other publications you can think of. Michael has been married to his wife, Gail, for more than 40 years. They have five daughters, three sons-in-law, and nine grandchildren, and they live just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Megan Hyatt Miller is the CEO at Michael Hyatt and Company. She is also the co-host of the Lead to Win podcast, which is consistently featured in the top 100 in Apple Podcasts, 
As the architect of Michael Hyatt and Co.'s standout culture, she's committed to helping her team win at work and succeed in life while also delivering phenomenal results to their customers. Under her leadership, the company was named as one of Inc. Magazine's best workplaces for 2020, which ranks the top companies in America for their employee engagement. When she's not taking the company to new heights, she's fully present at home with her husband and five kids outside Nashville, Tennessee. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation that I have uh, with Michael and Megan. I can't wait to dive into a couple of things. But first, really, really quickly, if you are a podcast host or a podcast guest, you like to get booked on podcasts, then you're going to want to head over to guestio.com to check out the new software that my team and I put together. Think about uh, Cameo, that, that app that lets you buy shout outs from celebrities. It's like Cameo, but it's for buying interviews with some of your favorite guests that you can bring onto your show for increased credibility, authority, and more listeners on your podcast. So head over to guestio.com, create a free profile and get started today. Michael, Megan, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on the show. Hey, Travis, thank you for having us. Yeah, this is going to be so fun. Thanks for having uh, us, Travis. I am stoked. I'm stoked. So uh, as I was reading, as I was reading the bio there, I couldn't help but draw my attention over like three inches to my right with my full focus planner here <laughs> sitting right next to my laptop. And no, they did not send this to me in hopes that I'd promote it on the show. This is just truly I've tried, I don't know, dozens of different journals. And uh, this is the one that I keep ending up at. So I appreciate you guys for creating a valuable resource like this. And I highly recommend anybody that's listening to go check out the full focus planner from the Michael Hyatt company. This is a fantastic, fantastic resource, one of many that they have. And so I want to dive into that and just kind of get right get started right into things here. So Michael, I want to ask you uh, uh, in particular first, talk to us about how this became a part of your life. So uh, I find that when I have conversations with people like yourself, uh, that this isn't something that you probably thought you were going to be doing when you were 15, 16 years old. You know, this wasn't really a career path that was popularized to, you know, sell your knowledge online through courses and books and journals and all this other stuff. So uh, rewind the clock for us if you can. Let's let's say 12, 13-year-old Michael Hyatt uh, set the scene for us and talk to us about family life, parents, and culture for you when, you know, 12, 13 years old. That's such a great question. I'm not sure I've ever been asked it. But yeah, so I grew up in a lower middle-class home in a very remote, small community in western Nebraska, population about 3,500, Kimball, Nebraska, for, you know, the 3,499 people that were there when I lived there. Yeah. So I just, you know, very humble beginnings. But I think the first time I thought about doing anything that was sort of public facing is I took up the guitar when I was in the ninth grade and I had this dream of playing in a rock band and I did. And I played in several bands through college, was a music major until I transferred to the major university in my town and was up against some serious competition. And that scared me. And then kind of fear for a period of time sort of defined my life. You know, I thought about public speaking, and in fact, I did some public speaking, but it always scared me to death, so I always tried to avoid it, never thinking that one day that would sort of be the defining characteristic of, of, of my life. So I would say almost everything that I'm doing today came out of some kind of colossal failure if you go back enough years. <laughs> if you go back enough years, there's a colossal <laughs> failure that puts you on the path to success. I love that. So. Megan, same question for you. And obviously you are Michael's oldest daughter. Yep. And so this will probably be an interesting conversation for you and I to have with your dad on the line here. So yeah. talk to me about 
What was it like growing up being Megan, 12, 13-year-old Megan? What was it like being in the Hyatt household? Well, 12 or 13-year-old Megan was obsessed with riding horses. And at that time, my dad was kind of in the early stages of his entrepreneurial journey. Okay. And so I'm the oldest of five. And so we didn't have very much money. So I was very motivated to figure out how in the heck was I going to pay for this super expensive hobby that my parents couldn't afford, but I was just determined to pursue. And so this is like pre-internet, all that kind of stuff. And I would take out ads in the classified, if you guys remember what that was, where I would advertise my services to take care of other people's horses for them in exchange for being able to ride the horses. And so I ended up with horses, you know, for a number of years that way. I had to get really creative. I cleaned houses in my neighborhood to pay for my riding lessons and all kinds of stuff. So if you would have asked me at that stage, what was I going to be when I grew up? I would have said probably a horse trainer or a vet, which, you know, neither could be further from what I'm doing now, but <laughs> was still important in my journey. <laughs> yeah. But little did you know that those types of, uh, that type of hustle mentality is really what you'd end up be, uh, being doing with the rest of your career. So, um, Megan, when you were coming into, you know, high school and trying to consider what you were going to be doing post high school, what were some of the options that you had on the table? And how did you navigate those decisions? Well, it's funny, Um, I ended up really being interested in design, interior design and marketing later, really most of my career before Michael Hyde and company was in marketing. But that's not what I thought I was going to do when I was in college, I thought what I was going to do was interior design. So I feel like I kind of have an unconventional path, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to. You know, how I ended up as the CEO of Michael Hyde and Company would not have been predictable if you had known me as a kid or as a high school student or a college student or even early in my career necessarily, except for the fact that I think I had a lot of drive. I had a lot of perseverance and kind of the ability to just figure things out. One of the lessons that I always like to credit my dad with teaching me is that, you know, you don't have to know how to do everything you want to do in your life. You just have to find the person who knows how to do it. And again, this is like pre-internet, you know, so it was all about like going to the library and getting books and, you know, just really researching and trying to figure it out. And that's something he kind of learned from his dad. But I think that's been really empowering for me as I've navigated this journey that's ultimately led here to leading Michael Hyde and company. Already starting this interview off with some with some nuggets of wisdom there. (laughs) So you don't have to know how to do it yourself. You just got to go find the person who knows how to do it. And this is this is the Build Your Network podcast. So this is literally the reason that this show exists is to expose this mentality to more and more people and to get them to start thinking about uh, cultivating better relationships uh, in their life. So, uh, Michael, what what was the path for you to go from where you were growing up? You know, like to what you said, you know, lower middle class in a really small town like that. How do you end up at Thomas Nelson Publishing? Like, t- tell us that story, uh, kind of bird's eye view, really quickly. Well, I majored in philosophy in college with the intention of going to seminary and being in the ministry. Okay. But I took a part time job in my senior year in a small book publisher in Waco, Texas, Word Publishing, and fell in love with it. And I've always mm-hmm. loved books. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I can be involved in the process of bringing people's ideas to the marketplace, I couldn't imagine a better job than doing that. And in terms of it scaling beyond what I could do personally, in terms of my personal impact, I thought, you know, when you publish a book, I mean, there may be millions of people get exposed to that book, to those ideas. So that really captivated my imagination. And so I, you know, began in sales and then I ended up in marketing. And then my boss at Word Publishing went to Thomas Nelson Publishers, and then he hired me away from Word. And so I went to work at Thomas Nelson. And Long story short, I I was there for two years. 
and decided that I was ready to start my own company. I did. I left Thomas Nelson, started my own company. This was back in the 80s. And I was really full of myself. You know, I thought I had it all figured out. I thought... How, I knew- how, old, were you, how old were you at this time? Sorry to interrupt. How old were you at this time? I, I was about 32 at the okay. time. And yeah. so I thought I had it all figured out. I was smarter than my boss. <laughs> I was smarter than my boss's boss. And I was going to do it right. So a partner and I, we built this company. It went gangbusters for five years. And we ended up bankrupt. It just, we went completely out of business in 1992. And so then we rolled forward into a literary agency and I ended up going back to Thomas Nelson, sort of now with my hat in my hand, my tail between my legs, and started sort of at a low rung as a divisional manager and ended up through a series of events over the course of several years, being promoted to the CEO and the chairman where I served in that role for about six years. Got it. So timeline-wise here, you get into publishing pretty much immediately yep. and stay in that industry for a couple of decades then before yeah. you ventured out on your own. Yeah, several, 30. When I started Michael Hyden Company, it was 2011. So that was 10 years ago. And I yeah. was 55, which a lot of people said, that's pretty, that's pretty old to be starting a second career. Well, by that time, it was like my fourth career. But <laughs> Uh, but at, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of advantages of starting older. You know, I'd made a lot of mistakes, which is kind of a prerequisite for, you know, whether you're building a network or building a business, you know, if you get some mistakes under your belt, you know, embrace them. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the kind of learning that you need to be able to do well in your own business. Sure. I, I have one quick question for you on that, Michael, before we move on to, yeah. to a couple of questions for Megan. So in this day and age, right, it's social media age where, you know, imposter syndrome is rampant, but also so is trying to keep up with the Joneses uh, in a lot of senses, especially online. How would you think somebody can navigate a big life, you know, quote unquote, failure similar to the one that you had when you were in your mid to late 30s with your publishing company? How can somebody navigate those waters of failure now when it's so public and so many people see that failure? I feel like a lot of people are struggling with how to deal with that and it prevents them from attempting anything to begin with because they're so afraid of having all their contact list, their friends, their family, their followers see them in a light of being a failure. And so do you have any advice around that? I do. You know, I think that a lot of times we think that it's our successes that create respect and create the connection that we, dev- that we desire for our business to succeed or whatever. And it's really not. And in fact, it's our successes that sometimes people can't relate to and make us feel like we're not approachable. But when you've had enough failure in your life and you're willing to be open and vulnerable about it, that's what people connect to because that's the human experience. And so, for example, in the new book that Megan and I wrote called Win at Work and Succeed at Life, it's a book that really advocates for life balance. And it came out of a hard experience that I had 20 years ago about a confrontation that I had with my wife in the den because I was a workaholic. And it was, a, it was very much a failure. And especially when I look back on it, but me being able to write about that 20 years later is the very thing that when people read it, they go, oh my gosh, that's me. You know, I've, I've had that same conversation mm. with a spouse, or I'm about to have that same conversation if something doesn't change. So I think that, you know, the great thing about failure is that if we process it, it becomes the fodder 
becomes the raw material that enables us to connect authentically with people and, and builds trust, which, which is a prerequisite for sales, for influence, for everything else. Yeah, and just know that the story isn't over unless you decide that it is. You know, so a failure is just the beginning. It can lead to so many other things. And, you know, all you did was get a lot of feedback and learn. And you can take that into the next venture. And you can see, you know, similar success to to what's, you know, someone someone like Michael has been able to achieve um, in his life. So I appreciate you talking into that for a second. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you. That work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Megan, so uh, kind of similar question for you. Post high school, college uh, applications, ideas, what you're going to do with your life, and then how you ended up now uh, working with with your dad over at Michael Hyatt and Company. Yeah. Well, I knew that I loved marketing, you know, that ideas, words, um, kind of a natural writer, you know, that those were really places where I instantly got traction as my career started. Plus, I had this kind of knack for branding and aesthetics. And so I was kind of driven into those things and worked in a series of small businesses. I'd like to kind of pause and and, and, and yeah. uh, zoom in on a couple of things because sometimes we can kind of gloss over them like they're regular parts right. of the conversation that everybody gets. <laughs> but what you just said there is so powerful, which is you found that you were really good at this thing. And then you found yeah. that you had a knack for this thing. Right. And like you, 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 you stepped into the things that were natural strengths for you and right. continued to improve on those strengths rather than saying, oh, well, I'm not good at this other thing. I should go right. work on that. Um, right. Was this something that was innate or you, you pursued it? Was this like advice from, you know, your dad or somebody else? How, how did you well, have the foresight at that time? Yeah. I mean, I think this is such a great question. I, you know, it's funny when I talk to people who are in their twenties and they're trying to figure out their career, 
I think they, there's this false sense of if I'm doing it right, it's going to be this sort of logical progression. I'm going to be able to see the end game that I'm going to be a CEO or I'm going to, you know, be a business owner and it's going to be this kind of business from the beginning. And it just doesn't work like that. I mean, if you mm. listen to the stories of entrepreneurs, they're rarely a straight shot. It's usually a zigzag back and forth with successes and failures and everything in between. And every story is unique. So if you feel like you kind of don't know where you're finding yourself in the trajectory of your life as you're being an entrepreneur, I think that's really normal and it's okay. And actually, when you look backwards, you'll see how it all fits together. You don't see that when you're at the beginning or even in the middle, but I think you do see that as you look back with some time under your belt. So Hopefully that's encouraging. But, you know, I do think that my dad's always had a mentality that you should lean into your strengths, that it's not a great use of your time to try to develop your weaknesses. You know, I think uh, Marcus Buckingham was one of the authors that he worked to develop at Thomas Nelson when he was there. And, you know, Marcus talks a lot about that idea of strengths and uh, in his work. And so I think that was really influential. You know, for example, there are things that I am absolutely not good at for just a couple of things, extensive, detailed planning, finishing things I'm not great at, you know, anything that's kind of in the details or logistics, logistics are, is kind of like a dirty word for me, you know, but if it's creative, if it's big picture, if it's idea oriented, if it's vision casting or futuristic or strategic, that's where my strengths and gifts are. And so I think what happened for me is along the way, I started kind of putting together the pieces of, ah, that comes naturally to me, that writing thing, that Mm. copywriting thing. Ah, that comes naturally to me. I I have a good sense of how branding ought to work. And all of a sudden they, they start to come together enough that you start to build a career and really get clear on where you add value in the world. So Unfortunately, there's no FedEx that shows up at your door that tells you exactly how it's going to work or what you're going to be. But if you pay attention and really cultivate that sense of self-awareness, I think you start to see the pieces fit together. Okay. So I wanted to ask about that, but I did interrupt you in the middle of your story. So please continue. I'm trying to remember what story I was telling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, post post college, you you're getting into your career. Find that yeah. you like to uh, that you have a, a natural knack for aesthetics and design and yeah. marketing, and then yeah, pick it yeah. up from there. Yeah, so I so that's really where I spent my career until about 2011, when my husband and I adopted two boys from Uganda. Um, I married him in 2009 and inherited two kids that way. So in two years, I became a mom of four kids. Wow. And that was a pretty, um, you know, drinking from a fire hose kind of a situation and uh, a little overwhelming, to be honest. And so I decided, you know what, when we adopted our boys, they had some special needs and I decided to, to be a stay-at-home mom for a period of time. That only lasted about nine months until I realized actually I was going to need some additional input besides that, you know, um, that was just, I wasn't necessarily wired for that in the way that sure. I thought I might be. So I went to work in my dad's new company, uh, Michael Hyde and Company there just part-time really as, um, you know, a way to have an outlet outside of my kids. Hmm. That just quickly snowballed and took on more and more and more responsibility. I was quickly working full-time. And a couple of years after that, he came to me and he said, hey, I really feel like the time is right for you to become the chief operating officer in the company. And that would free me up to focus on some areas that right now I can't focus while I'm running the company you know, day to day. And so we talked about it. And honestly, half of me was excited and half of me felt sick to my stomach. Mm. 
And the stick to my stomach part is really what we talk about in this book, When It Work and Succeed at Life, because I felt this tension. What we talk about is the impossible choice of I have these kids with some special needs who need my full attention. I can't like delegate that to somebody. You know, this is, this is not an outsourcing thing. This is, they need their mom. And I know I have a lot to contribute professionally and I love creating things. So how do I reconcile that? Kind of in the meantime, I um, heard someone talk, a female CEO talking at an event, um, someone you may know, actually, Shalene Johnson, who mm. was talking about uh, how she, when her kids were at home, she decided to quit work every day at 3.30 so she could pick them up at school. And I'm sitting there in the audience, like, my head just exploded. Like, wait, people are doing this? This is like a thing, you know, because she's super successful and super ambitious. And, you know, I'm looking up at her on stage and thinking, like, man, if it works for her, you know, maybe I can do it. Well, I came back to my dad and I said, hey, I want to say yes to this opportunity. I I really feel like I can serve you well in this capacity, but I'm going to need to be done every day at 3.30. I mean, I like literally took the page out of her book and I can't work in the evenings. I can't work at night. I can't travel a lot, but I can give you six and a half hours a day. And I think I can deliver, you know, some great results. And he said, okay, I'm willing to give it a shot. You know, what matters to me is the results, not how much time your butt's in the chair. You know, that's not what matters. And that was an experiment that we started back then, many years ago now, and we've been going ever since. And honestly, um, this is something we talk about in the book, the constraints that I put around my workday, I think are really a huge reason why I've been able to be successful now as the CEO of the company, um, but also in part to why our company's been able to be successful. Yeah. And uh, man, I couldn't, could not agree with you more on that uh, because- there's something to be said for focused time rather than sporadic time. And when you view your time in a day as being more in abundance, as in, hey, it's only, you know, 10 a.m. I have until 8 p.m., give or take, to be able to get some stuff done, you tend to like get yourself busy, getting caught up in social media or your email inbox or all these other things that are pulling you away from the things that you're actually supposed to be doing. But when you know that, hey, 3.30, I'm out of here. <laughs> you have Hard to stop. schedule your time mm-hmm. to be extremely productive during during that time period. So exactly. um, man, props to you, kudos to you for, for being able to set those lines and then also be able to produce within the time period uh, that you that you were working there. And then uh, and then props to you, Michael, as well for giving her the space to, to do that. Because I find that uh, a lot of people don't want to take chances uh, like that. And I, I think that I think that more and more the workforce is going to continue to move to these types of models where you're starting to realize that, hey, people don't have to be here nine o'clock to five o'clock every single day. Like it doesn't even make any sense. Most, you know, there's two or three hours that's just wasted in, in meetings that shouldn't be happening and water cooler conversations and this and in that. And if you were, you know, traveling, but only could give me four hours, you'd probably get the same amount of work done as you would be here in the office with eight hours. And so... Um, I think that a lot of a lot of companies are moving that way. What, was was this something that was an inkling that that you like a feeling that you had, Michael, or, or have you always kind of looked at at work and career more from a productivity standpoint rather than an hours put in standpoint? Yeah, I would say that's my general orientation is the results you produce, not the amount of hours that your butts in the chair. And I, I can remember having this conversation even when I was at the CEO of Thomas Nelson. You know, there was sort of this: I wanted to allow for remote work, even you know back in the last decade when it wasn't popular. And mm-hmm. I had people in the company, even though I was a CEO that were fighting me, it was like, well, how can we monitor people? 
you know, how will we know if they're working? I mean, they might just be goofing off. Well, the truth is, I don't care if you're in the same office. You don't know if they're goofing off or not, yeah. unless you're just standing behind them and looking over their shoulder. Exactly. But, but, but to give an example of how this fleshes itself out, back during the, when the pandemic began, one of the things that we discovered, we have about 50 full-time employees, one of the things we discovered at the beginning of the, the pandemic was that there was a lot of environmental stress. You know, suddenly these young parents who work for us didn't have childcare, they didn't have school, the kids were underfoot, they're trying to manage their, you know, everything, and the economies, you know, who knows where that's going, there's all this stress. And so our team came to us and said, you know, could we make some adjustments? We need more flexibility to, to be able to, to handle this. So Megan and I got together with our executive team and we decided as an experiment that we would move from a 40 hour work week to a six hour work day. So a 30 hour work week. So we were going to cut our work hours by 25%. We were not going to change anybody's compensation. So no reduction of compensation, but a reduction of 25% less hours. And we said, let's try it for a month and then let's circle back and see how it went. And the measure will be, can we stay on our trajectory to achieve our profit goals for this year? And can we make sure that all the important projects get done? So we got together in 30 days and we were like, this is amazing. You know, we think people are making better choices. If anything, we're more productive. So let's do this through the summer. We did. Went great through the summer. We adopted it as a permanent thing in the fall at our strategic planning retreat. We said, this is going to be a permanent feature of Michael Hyde and company. And get this, we finished the year already with a very aggressive profit goal that was 100% ahead of 2019. That was our goal. Wow. But we finished 52% ahead of that goal. So we had wow. the best year we had in the history of the company while working 25% less. And it wasn't in spite of those hours that we succeeded. I really believe, Travis, it was because of those hours. It just forced us to choose the high leverage kinds of activities that really drove the company forward and eliminated all the distractions mm. and all the fake work. Yeah, amazing, amazing how that can how that can work in your benefit just by eliminating some of the waste and focusing on the bigger needle movers and for every piece of the organization from the top all the way down. And uh, man, again, props to you guys for being able to figure that out. And I feel like this is a really great time to plug your book um, uh, that that you guys have coming out here. And uh, so I, I want to want to ask uh, first off what what was the catalyst that made you decide to write it? Because I, I noticed earlier you had mentioned that. You, you pulled a story from like 20 years ago of that was a reason for writing this book. So, you know, why now? Why, why was it something that you wanted to get out right now? Maybe I should just tell that story because yeah, please. This, this was, I believe, sort of the um, impetus for what's become my life's work. And it goes back to when I first was made a divisional manager at Thomas Nelson. This is back in the year 2000. And I was given responsibility for one of Thomas Nelson's 14 book publishing divisions. This particular book publishing division was in the worst shape financially of any division. It was shrinking, not growing. It was losing money. And it was the least profitable division in the company. So the CEO asked me to turn it around. He said, how long is it going to take you and honestly, I didn't have a clue. I just pulled a number out of the air and I said, I think three years, you know, hoping that that sounded reasonable. CEO said to me, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Go for it. So I, I went back to my team with a vision for how we could turn it around. We rolled up our sleeves. We were working 70 to 80 hours a week, you know, no weekends, traveling constantly, no vacations, but we did it. And it didn't take us three years. In a year and a half, we went from number 14 to number one in terms of the fastest growing division in the company. And from number 14 to number one in terms of the most profitable division, everybody got bonus checks. Team morale was through the roof. And I got the biggest bonus check I'd ever received in my career. It was more than my annual salary. 
I just knew that my wife, Gail, was going to be thrilled with this. And it was validation for all the amount of time that I had spent working and, you know, given up my, you know, my personal health and time with the family and all that. But now all that was going to change. So I bounced through the front door, showed her the check, expecting her to have a big grin, give me a big hug, high five me, whatever. And she kind of looked at it, cocked her head and said, babe, we need to talk. And I went, wow. Okay. And I, I'm thinking to myself, this is not going to be good. Yeah. So we went into the den. We sat down. She began to tear up. And she said, first of all, she said, I love you with all my heart. And I so appreciate the hard work that, that you do on behalf of the family. But I got to be honest, you are never at home. Mm. And she said, even when you are, you're somewhere else. You're not fully present. And I, and I felt very defensive. I wanted to defend myself. I didn't say anything. Thank God. But I knew she was right. And then she said to me, she said, your five daughters need you now more than ever. And then she began to cry. And she said, if I'm honest, I feel like a single mom. And I'm not sure how much longer I can hang on. So here I was, Travis. I felt like I'd reached you know, the pinnacle of success and suddenly discovered in that moment that it was a false summit. And I was faced with this impossible choice. Either I can win at work or I can succeed at life, but I can't do both. I have to pick one. And, and that sent me on a quest to try to find a third option. And that's really been what I've tried to do for the last two decades. It's, it's the foundation of our coaching practice. The development of all the content that we create is all for the purpose of helping people get what we now call and call in the book, the double win, where you win at work, you don't compromise your professional ambition, but at the same time, you don't compromise your personal health or your more, most important relationships. It's absolutely possible. So win at work and succeed in life. Uh, you can find this guys over at winandsucceedbook.com. Uh, so winandsucceedbook.com. There's $500 worth of bonuses if you if you go purchase through that particular URL. So winandsucceedbook.com. Be sure to go over there and check that out. Megan, can you give us top one or two main lessons that you would love your readers to take away from this book that you and your dad put together? Yeah. Well, first of all, that the devil win, winning at work and succeeding at life is really possible. You know, I, I think we think about these things like they're in opposition to each other. True. That work and life are fighting with each other and they're always greedy for more. You know, yeah, there's just right. not enough to go around. And that's not really true. In fact, if we think about professional athletes, somebody like Tom Brady, you know, he doesn't think about his work like that. When he won the Super Bowl again this last year, you know, it, uh, it wasn't that he was struggling to to find more time at home or in work to take care of himself. In fact, when he thinks about his performance, what he's doing off the field is at least as important as what he's doing on the field mm -hmm. and that they really work together in concert to create optimal performance. And I think sometimes we think about work-life balance as sort of this soft strategy for people that aren't that serious about top performance. And in fact, it's actually the longevity strategy for people that are serious about their highest performance for their entire life and their entire career. So if you're serious about performance, performing at the highest level possible, then the strategies we talk about in this book are going to give you a pathway to discovering a level of performance professionally that maybe you've never been able to access before. And so these are, these are really performance strategies. So the double win is possible. 
And it, you know, the second thing I would say is we all know, however, that it's not possible to do everything. There's just not enough time to do it all. We've all tried. We've all failed. We've all been disappointed. It's not possible. But what we talk about in the book is that there's not enough time to do everything, but there is enough time to do all the things that are the most important to you. And that really begins to shape up the answer to that question. What is most important to you begins to shape up your personal definition of what the double win, winning at work and succeeding at life looks like for you. So we talk in the book, for example, about establishing non-negotiables in three categories. So assuming you don't have time for everything to be a non-negotiable, you're gonna have to pick carefully what for you are gonna be non-negotiable priorities in the areas of self-care, relationships, and professional results. So self-care relationships and professional results. And we've got to be clear on that because there's no way to kind of design your life so that you can win at work and succeed at life until you know exactly what that means for you, because it can't mean everything. So we get really practical with implementation and helping you walk through that process. But those are just two ideas that I would point out. Absolutely love it. Winandsucceedbook.com. Be sure to go check out their book. And I, I want to ask you guys both this question, and then we're going to talk a little bit about, about networking. I'll let you go, okay? So you guys have both been uh, CEOs of very successful and large companies. I am a fairly new CEO building a software startup uh, from the ground up in the moment. And so I told you at the beginning, I was going to ask you some selfish questions. So here's my selfish question for you. What is the job of a CEO from your perspective? We'll start with Megan and then we'll move to Michael. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I would say to set the vision for the future, you know, that, that your job is to be the tip of the spear and to clear a path into the future for your team and on behalf of your clients and customers. If you don't know where you want to go, if you don't have that vision, you know, my dad has written another book called The Vision Driven Leader, uh, which is all about this topic. If you as the leader of your organization or your team don't have a vision for where you're going, it's going to be very hard to get your team aligned and executing at a high level. So I think that is often the missing piece for CEOs, for leaders of teams, um, because, you know, we, we just focus all on execution, uh, but we're missing that piece on the vision. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to develop your executive team or the leaders that are assisting you, because you know, our belief is that if we take care of our team, our team will take care of our clients and customers. That our primary focus is actually not on our clients and customers in a way. Our primary focus is on our team developing our culture developing their abilities, their skills, bringing those up, continually um, keeping pace with the, the speed of scaling that we're doing with our own self-development. And so those are two things I would say, you know, developing your team and then also setting the vision. Those are kind of prerequisites to operating results. Michael? Yeah, it's hard for me to improve on that. One of the things that's frustrating about doing interviews with Megan is we think so much alike that usually <laughs> words out of my mouth. But yeah, I would say it all starts with vision. And, and I think as the CEO, it's your job to define it in a way that's clear, in a way that's written, in a way that's reproducible to your team. Mm. The reason why vision is so important is because execution is so important. But you can't execute as a team unless you have alignment. When, when you don't have alignment, then you get a lot of sideways energy. You know, a lot of resources are consumed because people are going in different directions and people aren't aligned. But the prerequisite to alignment is vision. You have to have something to align around. So vision comes first, then comes alignment, 
then comes execution. And if you do it in that order, you'll execute at a level that you can't even fathom at this moment. Both amazing answers. And uh, thank you for uh, answering my selfish question. So I, I want to talk with you a little bit about building relationships because this is the Build Your Network podcast. And that's what we talk about a lot here on the show is trying to cast light on how important it is to surround yourself with people that continue to push you to be the best version of you. So this is the question I've asked every single guest that's ever come on the show. So I'm curious to hear you guys' the answers. We'll start with Michael, move to Megan this time, okay? Who you know or what you know, which of those two is the most important asset in life and why? Who you know, because there's somebody, and Dan Sullivan wrote an entire book on this called Who Not How. Hmm. But we often think as leaders, we need to know how to do different things. So we've got to acquire more knowledge. But you don't need to know how, you just need to know somebody who knows how. And so if you can find somebody out there who knows how to do what you need to get done, you don't need to know the how. So networking is the single most important thing you can do to build your business. Love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clip that and I'm going to start putting it everywhere from Michael Hyatt. Networking is the single most important thing uh, that you can do to grow your business. Absolutely love it. Megan. Yeah, I, of course, agree with that. I think that's absolutely true. You know, a funny thing that I, I think we get tangled up with with networking is we think of that as an externally focused activity. But in many ways, networking is as important inside your business as it is outside your business. You've got to have both. We often say that if your dream doesn't require a team, then your dream is not big enough. Mm. You know, we, we kind of love that idea because we love our team. We love the capabilities that we get from our team. Like what we're able to do in terms of our impact in the world is so much greater and so much more exponentially multiplied because of the team that we have. And so not only do we need to be networking and building relationships so we're able to recruit that team, but then we need to nurture and develop our relationships with those people once they're inside our team, because that creates the kind of culture of collaboration and innovation and creativity and all the things that make it possible to do great things in the world. So um, I think it's kind of both parts. It's that external focus and it's the internal one as well. Definitely. And I appreciate you bringing that up because I think a lot of times people can Look at networking and building relationships as two separate activities, right? right. Like networking is this, this in-person cold calling opportunity to throw business cards in people's faces and like get phone numbers that I can follow up on and close deals tomorrow. That's networking. And then building relationships, that's this other separate activity over here. When in reality, if you're doing it the right way, it's the same thing. It's right. just furthering and, and finding new uh, connections, uh, finding new connections and furthering um, existing connections and uh, and connecting with people as human beings because that's what we as human beings are meant to do and what we are supposed right. to do. Man, this has been such a fun conversation for me. I I, I really appreciate you guys come on the show. I've been been wanting to get you on for for a while. After uh, I think it was after I read your best year ever and then picked up the the full focus planner and this is the planner I recommend to everybody. So I appreciate you guys for taking the time to come on the show. Just kind of wrapping up here before we take off. Besides winandsucceedbook.com, where is somewhere online that you want our listeners to go uh, connect with you the most? Uh, Megan yeah. first. Yeah, uh, two places. Our primary website is michaelhyatt.com. And then we also have a podcast called Lead to Win, which is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we've been doing that for a while together. It's a lot of fun. We talk all about leadership and entrepreneurship and all kinds of things. Perfect. Michael? Yeah, I would say the same thing. You know, cool. we've got a gazillion different websites, but michaelhyatt.com is sort of the one road that leads to everything. The hub, sure. So michaelhyatt.com, head over there. Um, all their social links and all that good stuff will be over there. They have an amazing newsletter as well. 
Guys, these are uh, Michael Hyatt's, uh, the Michael Hyatt company is producing some of the best thought leadership and uh, leadership material um, that's available online and in print format from anybody today. So I uh, really appreciate you guys coming on the show. If you guys want to go check out more of their stuff, uh, be sure to check out the podcast, whatever podcast app you're listening to, just go search it right now. Thank me later uh, for checking it out. Um, Michael, Megan, thank you guys uh, so much for taking the time to join me on the show today. I had a blast chatting with you. Thank you, Travis. Thanks so much, Travis. This has been really fun. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.